Hi there, welcome and thank you for tuning in. My name is Jason Shoulder and this is Learning to Fail. People are complicated. I watch a lot of complicated people on YouTube. My guest today is JP Sears. JP is best known for his satirical video series, Awaken with JP. The character he plays is a hilariously arrogant spiritual savant who confronts every cliche the New Age has to offer. Beginning with his brilliant premise of how to become ultra-spiritual, JP challenges all of our passing convictions, from gluten freedom to veganism to passive-aggressively controlling the people we love. How do you like learning to fail? Have you learned to like failing, or do you fail to like learning? Whatever the case, thank you for listening. My sincere thanks to those who have rated and reviewed our podcast on iTunes. I really appreciate the words you've left behind for others to see. Please keep tuning in weekly and help us to reach more people by telling them. Make sure you check out our website, ltfpod.com, and visit our Amazon page every time you buy anything online. By clicking on our link before you shop, you can support the podcast without spending a nickel of your own money. You can also drop a dime on our donation page. Every little bit helps. As always, the most important thing you can do is simply to listen to the podcast and inspire others to do the same. We encourage all folks to try learning to fail, with or without adult supervision. You are going to love this conversation with JP. I need to warn you that the sound is not great, but the content is, or we wouldn't have posted it. So enjoy this amazingly talented dude and the laughter we share getting ultra-spiritual together. Hey, JP. Hey, Jason. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. How are you, man? I think I'm doing pretty good for a redhead. <laughs> That's always part of the challenge. Especially for redheads. No, yeah. <laughs> That's what I hear. I don't know. I mean, I'm not... Uh... I'm, I'm, I like to think I'm blonde, but that's, I'm not, I'm, you know, I mean, I may be, dumb, I, may be yeah. I may be dumb, but I'm not blonde. <laughs> there might be other sources for the dimwittedness, but yeah, life is treating me really good today. And I'm curious how you and life are treating each other. Well, I don't know how I'm treating life. Uh, that's, I should probably pay more attention to that. Let's treat me. Okay. I'm an only cool. child. So I just notice what comes in, you know, I don't think too much about what goes out. It's a, we could we could work on that. Um, hey, you're coming in a little hot on your side. When you say hot, is that loud? Loud, yeah. Sorry, loud. Okay, yeah. yeah. How is this? Is that the same? It's or still different? the same. It's the same. Yeah. Okay, cool. That means I just adjusted something. Something else that I didn't know. Are you in Are you in Skype right now, or in actual system preferences? Yeah. Look in this. Look in the uh, in your system preferences for your computer. You know the little uh, the little um, gearbox thing. There, wise man you are. No, no, I, I spent what? hours with my producer preparing for this exact moment. <laughs> I even I even have it. I have like a, a screenshot of how to deal with this on a PC in case you had the the bad news of being on a PC. That's cool. Now where it's sound, things are moving slow just to test our patience. <laughs> now you can hear me. It's oh, now you sound worse. What just happened? Hello, testing. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry to be that we're wasting time on this, but 
All right, well, let's just go for it. Otherwise, okay. otherwise we'll be here till, till your, your window closes, and then uh, we'll finally have the sound dialed in. It's just brutal. But. Cool. And I do have a, another appointment right at the top of the hour. I'm not sure if you've been filled in on that, so oh. I'll need to hit the eject button. Yeah, no, I know. I know that we have a hard out. I was, I was warned. Cool. Yeah. So um, cool. I don't know if you recall, but we met at the very end of your book signing in Asheville. I introduced myself. Yes. Now the, now the, the recognition of how the stars were already aligned is coming back to me. Yeah. Thank you for that reminder. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm, I, uh, I mean, I know I stand out, but I also, <laughs> I know you've met a few people since then. So, um, I was really, I just wanted to say like, I had no idea what to expect when I went to see you perform. I don't know if you call it a performance yeah. or a presentation. I don't, I don't want to use the wrong terminology for it in case it's delicate. As long as it starts with a P, that's all I yeah. care about. <laughs> yeah, that's what I figured. I, I actually looked up all my, my P words to, in preparation for this interview. And because uh, it's part of your name, so I figured it had to map J's and P's. Um, how are you on S's? Are those... S's, you know, I, I'm more, I'm more self-identified with the letters in my first name. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Those are the ones people use more often. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, back to your presentation, your your performance presentation in uh, in Asheville. Process. Um, yeah. Process. Damn it. <laughs> so that's one of my favorite things about you is that whatever people say, you take it away from them. <laughs> you mean I'm controlling? Well, yes. that is not how I would have chosen to describe it, and it doesn't start with P, but. I felt like, um, I actually think it's a great spiritual teaching. Like my spiritual teacher, when I had one, I mean, I sort of still have one. I'm just not a student anymore, but one of the things he was really good at was not letting people hang on to whatever reality or belief system that they wanted. And mm -hmm. I really felt like that was something you did brilliantly. And of course, with a lot of comedy and, and, uh, and your character has a lot of arrogance. I don't think you have a lot of arrogance, but the guy you play is, you know, <laughs> he's, he's adorably intolerable. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I don't know how you have developed this voice. Um, and I want to hear about that because it's so unique. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for seeing the intolerance and, you know, the, your, your view of, you know, essentially wherever's a person's at kind of like take away that reality. Uh, I appreciate you seeing that. And I know I'm phrasing it in your reflection of my words, my reflection of your reflection. And, and I do find so much benefit to having beliefs and not believing beliefs. And I think the, you know, hearing someone speak about their reality, whether it's something big or something super small, but somehow saying something to challenge that reality, I think is the act of offering them an experience of not believing their belief. So I would almost say it's a, uh, what I attempt to do is a very respectful way of discounting their delusional reality. Not discounting in the sense of shaming them, that doesn't matter, but discounting, I think, uh, 
uh, for the exact opposite reasons of realizing you are so you are so much more than your reality. You are so much more than your beliefs. Uh, so I think the more, whether it's myself or anybody else, the more we can in our own way encourage people to like, yeah, have your beliefs, but don't believe your beliefs. Let me listen to what you're going to say because it will reveal a belief that you still have that you probably believe. And then, you know, if I'm on stage or whatever it might be, then I'll say something to challenge that. And I think that does a couple things. And one thing it does is it hopefully uh, challenges a person to a new level of self-consideration and contemplation. And then the other thing it does is it creates entertainment. You know, for me, when we distill what comedy is down to its very core, it's setting someone up to expect something, and then we deliver something completely different. And the space in between of what we expect and what's delivered, that space in between is the emotional reaction of confusion that typically makes us laugh. So if someone's stating a belief, that's kind of like, okay, that's the expected. And then my job is to deliver the unexpected that sets us up for laughter, but also sets us up to stop believing the belief in the you know, the expectation of life that a person has. If that made any sense. Yeah, well, it did. It actually made, it made, it makes a lot of sense. And it was less sort of uh, self-conflicting and circular than the way you, you often write and, and present yourself. Like that was pretty linear for you, <laughs> which was interesting. Thank you. Or I'm insulted. Yeah, you don't know which one, right? Yeah. A little of both, I'm sure. So, um, well, cause I'm reading your book and, uh, you know, I find it for, I mean, first of all, it's a really good book. Like I was, I always Thank have, you. you know, um, I moderate my expectations on most things and, and I never know, especially around spirituality. I really think it's an arena where the majority of people feel like they understand it better than they do. And as soon as True. they have a minor amount of understanding, then they globalize that and try to teach it. And, and I'm a guru, damn it. Well, but the thing about you is you have such a, you have such a um, unique relationship with the wisdom and knowledge and understanding that you do have, and then you twist it in the way you deliver it. So it's, it's like you are totally insulting to your reader in a way that's completely farcical and reveals everything that's actually true in a way that they would never be able to see it unless they were willing to kind of laugh at it and and stop feeling the need to hang on to it. Mm. Did that make sense? It did, man. That, that's a, I love that that reflection of what the book is and how the writing comes across in the book. I, I dare say I'm very honored that you would see it that way. And and I I would say my intent is that. It's just wonderful that it can come across. Um, At least to one person. I can't speak for how other people are <laughs> Nobody else has liked it. They've all thought it's just a bunch of crap. No, they love it. I'm just the only one who understands it. <laughs> This is how much I've learned from your character. <laughs> oh, but yeah, you know, I think uh, there's a, a quote. I don't know who the heck the first person was to say. It doesn't even matter. But the quote, nothing is as it seems. 
I think the 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 character through his arrogance, you know, in you know, in the book it's entirely written in character, you know, uses the the arrogance to deliver uh you know I think a, a, another variation of how things are like okay we'll set the premise in the book and our kind of like mass conscious spiritual beliefs we'll set the premise of how things seem to be to us and then through the fist of arrogance I think the the character uh, does his best to shatter that and and I would almost dare say if I can sound like a cliche artist being so narcissistic that he's analyzing himself in his own work I would say my character does his best to not deliver an alternate reality, but let me shatter your reality. Let me shatter with arrogance, the fist of arrogance. Let me shatter how things seem to be to you, and I'll shatter that. And then coming up with a new reality is for you. And to me, that's what satirical comedy does. It, it shatters what seems to be but it doesn't tell you what else to think. And to me, because it doesn't tell you what to think, it says, like, this is so untrue. Look at the ridiculous nature of it. But it doesn't say, but here's the truth, believe it. To me, it respects the individual more. It respects the individual to the extent that it says, I know you have more wisdom than you. So part of this comedy will be your wisdom putting in place the alternate reality. Whereas I think other kinds of comedy, other kinds of teachings will say, uh, thinking this is wrong and here's what you should think. And that, like, uh, that's maybe beneficial, but also I think that discounts the, the innate wisdom that we all have. And I think the, the fact that satirical comedy kind of, uh, it, it requires the person to engage and think at a deeper level and maybe not think at a deeper level in some cases. So I, I think it, it potentially holds a great benefit for people because you have to be relatively engaged in order to participate in the comedy where you're delivering the alternate reality. Whereas, say, with slapstick comedy, I, you know, I don't think a person needs to be very engaged because there's nothing really to add to the comedy. The comedian or the show delivers the slapstick comedy, but it's like, okay, the viewer doesn't need to participate because the slapstick is just exaggerating what is. There's really no fill in the blank. And I, you know, I, I think some of my videos, and I'm, I'll be done on my narcissistic ramble here Not in the next all. 40 but some of my videos, I'll, I'll get messages where, like, one example is like the If Meat Eaters Acted Like Vegans video. I'll get some messages that say, yeah, JP, those vegans are a bunch of self-righteous jerks. Thanks for calling them out. And then other messages for the same video are, JP, those meat eaters are self-righteous jerks. Thanks for calling them out. <laughs> then other messages are, JP, I'm confused. Who are you against in this video? And, and to me, that's the beautiful nature of satirical comedy. People are inserting their own realities to it. And, you know, a video like that or the book, I'm not against anybody. I am just here to call out human behavior used 
use the fist of satirical comedy to shatter a constructive reality that we might have. And to me, the one of the great ways that people can react to satirical comedy, and I think it's the greatest way, is when they get to a place of confusion. I don't know, who are you for or against? You know, you watch Stephen Colbert back when he did his show, The Colbert Report, and you say, like, well, are you for Republicans or are you making fun of Republicans? It, so it's, to me, it, it respects the viewer, the reader enough where it's like, yeah, you have to put your own reality into this. But to me, the greatest form of it is when a person isn't just quick to react and insert their own reality, their own assumptions into it, but they allow themselves to perpetuate in this place of confusion for a while where they allow the world to be shattered before they recreate the ground underneath them. And to me, floating in that mystery of confusion is actually a great place, an uncomfortable place, but I think a great place of growth. Yeah, I think that's perfect. I mean, my, my teacher used to say, wisdom lies in the gap between knowing and not knowing. I love that. You know, and that's like a shorter way of saying what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Jason, I have a philosophy. If you can take something that takes about 10 seconds to say, and if you can stretch that 10 seconds out to like 25 minutes, you will just appear so much wiser. Well, I, I actually think you might be smarter than him. Um, but I wasn't, and I know you know this, but I wasn't trying to say that, you know, he should have said it faster. I like, what I love about how you do this your, your whole methodology is this kind of winding way through things, you know, and, and that is the process of, you know, whether it's spiritual exploration or, you know, in the direction of what one hopes is enlightenment or even just any path through life and learning. I mean, it simply isn't linear. Life is not linear. And, and to say that your form of expression is nonlinear is a magnificent understatement. <laughs> I mean, um, and I think it's a huge part of its charm, and I think it's part of its efficacy. You know, it's like you—you you just, um, I mean, you. But it's so unique to you. I've never met anybody who can get away with saying the kind of stuff that you get away with, because you somehow, and you do it instantly. I mean, this is like as a comedian, and I'm a young comedian. As a not that young, but it, my as a comedian, I'm young. Um, as a comedian, you know, you have ten to 20 seconds to get the audience to b believe your character and then you know another 30 seconds to, to drag them into your universe and then the rest of the night to hope that they enjoy exploring it with you yes. and you you really nail that you know oh well thank you for that and i what i love your your assessment of uh, of you uh, of comedy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you mind if we talk about me a little more? I, I mean, yeah, haven't talked I, about you enough. <laughs> but yeah, Jason, I think your your analysis of essentially you know live comedy that's very true. Where that first minute or so collectively, it's like okay, the rest of the night is going to be heavily, heavily, heavily influenced over this formative minute. It's just like the the way when we're 70 years old, we're heavily influenced over what happens in our childhood, the formative years. So here in this one minute, that's the formative years of the live performance. And, and, and that's a scary thing. 
I, I've been hearing so many people mention how, yeah, public speaking, that's a great fear. But the idea of trying stand-up comedy, that's an even greater fear as public speaking times 10. And, uh, you know, I, I, I would love to pretend to be just an absolute black belt. Honestly, I'm not. You know, when we were together in Asheville for the performance I did, it was, it was an amazing group of you know, 350 people in the crowd. However, those are 350 people who are essentially already in rapport with me. Right. I don't need the first minute to win them over because— I've already won them over, hence they bought a ticket to come see me because they've already seen me on videos and people who weren't won over from my videos weeded themselves out, they didn't come. So the you know, I, I just don't wanna appear to be a tenth degree black belt when I'm whatever, a purple belt. So the the fact that you know, things went so well and smoothly with my comedy. And, you know, and it, there were times I, I was trying to say things that just weren't funny, but everybody's laughing. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's just so how well people were already won over before they got into the room. But I would dare say with more regular comedy, when when people are faced with, I think, a more usual situation of playing to a crowd who isn't already, one over who hasn't you know isn't already part of the inner tribe that's very intimidating that really really is and they're you know that art of let me win you over and six pull you in in 20 seconds and have you completely won over I won't pretend to be a master at that is that something you've done do you have you ever gone to open mics and you know done the more traditional comedian route or have you developed your comedy through your motivational speaking where you already had audiences that were warm for you based on your sort of pre-existing life as a coach and the other work that you yeah did? i would say almost all the stand-up i've done has been with audiences who already know me um there's only been i mean there's been a few conferences that i speak at where it's like i remember uh last november i was speaking at a conference in Australia for bankers. Not the usual right. demographic for me, but nonetheless, they brought me in. And you know, that was an audience who some people knew of me, but most hadn't. So that was, you know, call it a, you know, a cold audience of strangers. And then there, uh, aside from things like that, I've only done one open mic with comedy. And there's a very different beast than rocking up to a room full of people who already know me. And it's a much tougher Bronco to ride for sure. And honestly, I'd like to do more of it because I think it'd be very easy for me to get lazy and therefore, you know, not encounter as much growth as I could if I'm just only playing to audiences who know me. And the, the one open mic I did, I guess it was probably over a year ago. So no, I, nobody knew me. And, and, you know, it's a bar full of people. And I would say mostly people who aren't invested in conscious living, whatever that is. But going into it, the material I prepared, I had made the choice, like, I want to do my material. I knew, like, okay, I, I could... I'm guessing if I do my material, things that I'm interested in, you know, conscious living, 
new age hypocrisies, things like that. I'm guessing it's not going to go down very well with the audience. Or I could try to play to the audience of, you know, bar full of drunk people and sex jokes, uh, drinking jokes, kind of the usual suspects. Uh, and maybe win them over a little more, but it's like, no, I want to, I want to do my thing. And it was a very cold reception for right. JP that night. And, and I think it was, it was honestly, it was humbling. And I think it was honestly a great thing to experience for me. Well, I don't know if they told you what the name of my podcast is. Um, did they give you any of that information? Your people? Do you even know what you're doing uh, here? <laughs> who, who are you? <laughs> so, I, uh, well, I know when I'm I met you and I when I met, learning to fail. Yeah, when I met you and I said, "Hey, I'm doing this podcast with you." You're like, "Yeah, I, I don't know. I wake up in the morning and they tell me what I'm doing that day." Like it was, there was. There, I don't know if that's accurate, but it was almost like okay. it's kind of is. Yeah, right. So, um, you know, what you're describing is the process of of failing, and and sure. and in your case, you know, because this you strike me as this kind of person, you're learning from it and you're interested in learning from it. You know, you're not. Uh, although you haven't gone back, so that's I want to. I'm kind of curious about that. Uh, you're like it was really humbling and wonderful, and I uh, haven't done it again. <laughs> a great learning experience that I want no part of having again. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. That'll really get you places in life. Well, you know, just avoid discomfort for the rest of my life. All right. Well, so here was the. I'm gonna tell you the moment. I mean, apart from. Loving your videos and you know always wanting to introduce uh, excuse me interview interesting people. The moment that I decided to reach out to you was, I was listening to your interview with Raghu Marcus on Mind Rolling. Yeah. Um, Raghu is a friend of mine, and uh, I was listening to your interview with him, and you talked about and you mentioned this in your in your uh, performance presentation process as well that. <laughs> Is there another one you want to add on to that? Uh, and I feel each time we should add it. Well, I feel like we should add on to what, what else would it be? The pinnacle of my performance. The pinnacle. Okay, it's, it's your, yeah, your, well, I'm going to say pinnacle comes last. It was, or you're saying this was the pinnacle of your performance process presentation? No. This no, moment that you don't know that, that I'm about to talk about. Yeah, so I think we should go with your version of pinnacle goes to the end. Pinnacle. Okay. okay. Performance presentation process pinnacle. Right. So the, the pinnacle process. No, no, no. Process pinnacle. Yeah. Uh, process. Pinnacle. Let's definitely spend as much time as possible debating this. Um, I think another twenty minutes, people would really squeeze a lot of entertainment juice if we can milk this. Yeah. In twenty more minutes. Twenty twenty more. Okay. Well, that'll take us right to the hard out. So. There was a when you were talking to Raghu, and again you said this um, at the uh, you pinpointed it at the process pinnacle performance piece. Uh, you talked about how the moment in your career when you decided, you know, I'm going to go ahead and express this other side of me. Like mm -hmm. I have been, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, and I'm happy to hear you do it in your words, but you know, my memory is you're like, I have been doing this motivational speaking. I've been very careful about how I've expressed myself and presented myself to the world, but I have this other side of me. I have this, you know, side that I think is funny and, and it's comedic in this way I see the world through humor and I really wanna share and express that. 
And there was a moment where you looked at it and you're like, this could be the end of me. This could be the thing that buries me, but you did it anyway. And when I heard you, and of course that turned out to be the thing that's turned you into an international sensation, as from what I can tell. Yeah. And it's certainly how I heard of you is through your humor, through the, through the, uh, the YouTube series. That's, that was my introduction to you. And I think most people, am I right? Is that accurate to say that that decision blew your career wide open and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it was the best decision you've, you've made professionally was the biggest risk you took professionally. And that, to me, is the, the pinnacle of learning to fail. Like, yeah, facing it head on and doing it, and then, of course, you know, thankfully being rewarded by it. So I really want to, I want to go into that moment, you know, like, what, just, just, how did it, how did you get to that point? Like, what? to the degree that I haven't already described it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I one, I, I love the lesson that you're pulling out of this, you know, a willingness to fail, so essential for success. And, and I think we all, and I'll speak specifically about me in a second uh, to your question, but first I have to say things to other people so that I can hear them because I need to learn them more. But I think a willingness to fail is so important and fail we will like that of course we're gonna fail along the way impossible not to if we don't fail then we're essentially keeping ourselves in first grade where everything's so easy and not challenging to us but i think also realizing that sometimes the fear of failure isn't the fear of the failure we will encounter but it's the fear of the failure we imagine we will encounter and and to me, the, the fear of the failure that we imagine, it's always 100 times greater than the fear of an actual failure. So I imagined a huge dragon of failure for me. If I let my humor come out, I will be discredited as an emotional healing coach. I will, you know, no way I'll ever become successful. I should be like Eckhart Tolle. So huge amount of fear was created. And then when I eventually said, yeah, I'm going to act on it anyway, I was willing to encounter uh, how much I was afraid of my imagination rather than avoiding the fear of my imagination. When I was unwilling to put comedy videos out, that was really me avoiding the fear. Like, I'm not willing to step into the fear, therefore, like, I can't act. But if I'm like, yeah, I'm willing to feel the fires of those fears and willing to experience the consequences of what I imagine will happen, now I can act. And it turns out what, what happened was way different than I imagined would happen. It was still scary, but it was, you mentioned, the greatest explosion for my career. And I think what got me to that point of being willing to, like, do this thing that's scary that I thought was just going to be horrible for my career was, uh, I think uh, I had suffered long enough betraying myself that now I was willing to face the consequences of being true to myself. I think being true to ourselves sounds noble on paper, but for me, it's scary because when I'm true to myself, it means I can no longer meet people's expectations 
because my truth of self, my true self is not engineered to meet people's expectations. It's just engineered to be me. And that's very scary. So I was, you know, uh, avoiding the consequences of being true to myself. And then I, I think a little bit more tangibly along the, the way, you know, leading up to my first kind of put this comedy video out, I'd been making you know, sincere life advice videos for about a year and a half before that. And in, in them, I started to put in these like, you know, a tiny, maybe five second, 10 second, little cutaway scene of like a little comedy. So like maybe five seconds of comedy, five minute video. And it's like, I, I'm kind of flirting with disaster, but like those five seconds were so fulfilling to me. It's like, wow, that five minute video, what I liked best about it was that five seconds of comedy. And then I'd go do the next video and look at this. Wow, that five seconds was you know, not only satisfying to me, but it's like, I think that was very valuable. And then I got to the point where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to make a whole video uh, that's completely in the language of comedy. And so I, I think there was those two things of a willingness to feel the fear of not being a people pleaser in the name of being myself because I had felt enough pain of just betraying myself for long enough combined with kind of the gluten-free breadcrumb trail of like these little five-second snippets of comedy. Those were so satiating. Like I wanted more of that. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm really glad I asked you that question. Like it's been, that, that was a different answer than I would have imagined. And, um, and I think, you know, now that I recall uh, when I saw you perform, present your pinnacle piece um, in the parlor, there, <laughs> uh, I, I'm not gonna lose this game, by the way. Um, I remember you saying something about, you know, no longer betraying yourself. And, you know, that is such a huge piece that I think it's so easy. Like, we, it's so easy to spend time being the person we think people want us to be and doing the things we think yeah. we're supposed to do. And, and all of that is a huge distraction from actually experiencing ourselves and allowing other people to experience ourselves. And, yeah. and I'm just wondering, like, was the was there any fear around, well, what if I am just myself and they don't respond well, then, then I actually do suck. Like, you know, like that, sure. you, you know, that, that kind of, that's a lot. That can be, a, I can imagine the fear of that maybe being, you know, the driving factor behind all these other decisions we make. For sure. I mean, essentially what I heard you say is, what if I take the risk and shine my shine? I'll be true to myself and I'll voice it. And everybody's indifferent to it. It's like, yeah, that is okay. Now I definitely don't matter. At least my critical voice, I guarantee would say that. Would I, would I matter? Yes, of course I matter. Our worth doesn't depend on anyone other than our own self noticing that we don't need hundreds or thousands or millions of people to notice it. Though, there is definitely a part of me that would have, yeah, 
I do suck. Yeah, and that would be a very scary reality. And then honestly, I think another dimension of it, I think like I, I it's very easy for my delusional parts of my ego to fear two opposite directions at the same time. Wow, what if I do suck? What if I fail? That would be terrible. And then the other fear of what if I succeed? That would be terrible. Because I think like in the name of Nelson Mandela's idea that we fear our power more than anything else. Like I, I really do believe that. And I, I think embracing our power, experiencing our power is something we do, I do tend to fear more than failure. So, you know, I, I stepped into my power, didn't know I was gonna, but it ended up, I stepped into my power and it got me a lot of recognition. And I also just wonder, has exactly what happened been what part of me was fearing? Part of me was fearing like, what if nobody notices me and I do suck? Yep, that's a real fear. And what if everybody notices me? And I suck? <laughs> and what if I, or what if everybody thinks I'm amazing? Right. Like, I mean, on paper, it sounds like, well, glorious. Everybody wants to be recognized and famous. But there's there's a lot of fear that comes up, I believe, when I encounter some of my own power. Because, like, okay, now everybody, not everybody, but now a lot of people recognize me. What about these expectations I have now? What about each video I put out? Like, how scary is it for a part of me that says there is such a standard now that I have to live up to? Is that something I want to encounter? I think the fearful parts of me would say no, but other parts of me have said yes. So I think there's there's the fear of my own power that was part of what was making me resistant and procrastinating, stepping into my comedic voice as well. The fear of failure, the fear of success. Jeez. <laughs> Let's just fear everything. Yeah, yeah right. There's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've... As a comedian, I heard a, a I heard I think it was um, Mark Maron talking about this. He said the biggest fear is mediocrity. Mm. You know, like you can have a great performance, a, you know, where you crush it, as we say in the comedy world, you know, and you kill it, and that's a great feeling. You can bomb, which sucks, but at least it's a it's identifiable and you kind of learn to enjoy it because bombing you have to bomb once in a while otherwise you're not taking enough chances of course but that but that sort of mediocrity of it was just fine you know <laughs> uh and 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 to just continue to have experiences that are just fine yeah like that that to me is the greatest fear like i i, I reinvent myself not on purpose every 10 years you know, I, I was an artist and then a woodworker and then very briefly a poker player. Uh, and now I started making movies and I invented a yoga product and now I've started to do stand up and I have this podcast going and, and my life is changing directions, you know, significantly. Whereas all I want to do is stand up comedy and podcast interviews. Like that's how I want to spend all of my time now. Um, and my mom's like, are you sure you want to give up teaching yoga and pursue comedy, I was, <laughs> my answer to her was, I'm tired of being poor, I'd rather be broke. <laughs> <laughs> the plight of any yoga teacher looking to take life to the next level, let me just be broke. It'll be a little more extreme than just being poor. 
<laughs> yeah. But... You know, to me, I and I love your insight, you know, in Mark Maron's idea of mediocrity is what we fear the most. To me, that's a flat line. You know, whether it's our heart, our comedy, whatever it is, if it's blipping above the line, like, cool. If it's blipping below the line, like, ah, that sucks, but it's still cool because there's at least life in there. But if we're just flatlined, how are things with you? Very mediocre. Right. You know, it's like they, that. that's almost like a zone of numbness and lifelessness that I, I get it, like bouncing to the extreme, just like our heartbeat does, that that brings life into us. And I would dare say, to a degree, inhaling to great success, exhaling to bombing once in a while, that's part of what helps respirate growth and learning and um, progression through us. But if we're only, if we're keeping ourselves somehow in the psychological straitjacket where we're flatlined, average, mediocre, eh, that does feel pretty lifeless to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I wonder if, um, do you think that had you not taken the risk to really pursue your comedic voice, head on and you know with a full heart and all the energy which you've obviously put into it do you feel like your life as a as a coach i don't know how you call it a life coach what's yeah okay um would that have felt like it it, it had kind of flatlined for you i mean is that where that was for you well i it, i think it definitely it was pointed in that direction I wouldn't say it felt flatlined, but I could tell like I'm I'm disinterested I'm less interested in doing this coaching work with people, not because I'm not because of like anything wrong with it, but just because of the absence of something else I need in life. It's like this thing, this life coaching work, it can only deliver what it can deliver. It gives me great nutrition, but it's just like if that's broccoli then guess what? Like I need protein elsewhere. Right. So I, I think the, the absence of the satisfaction I get from comedy probably would have led me to project that dissatisfaction of comedy's lack onto whatever I was hyper attached to for sure. And then I'd probably resent it and then probably leave it in search of like, well, you know, I, I need to go find something else, which means I have to get rid of this. And it's like, well, sometimes. But I think in my life situation, it was a matter of I don't need to switch this out. I just need to add something new, uh, uh, which is a part of me, the comedy. Well, it's really cool, man. I mean, it's it's what a gift. What a gift that you gave yourself that turned out to be a gift for the world. You know, I mean, you're you're so influential in such a fun, positive way, you know, way more in my mind than the Dalai Lama and people who, are, who really, not that he isn't influential in a positive way, I don't want to be misunderstood, but like <laughs> through comedy, you're able to reach people who would otherwise be unreachable. Mm -hmm. You know, there are people who are just never going to listen to the Dalai Lama sure. because he's not some list of other things that they identify with. Sure. There are very few people who won't at least listen to a comedian if somebody says, hey, this guy's funny. Sure. You know, and that opens the door to you to really, inf 
really kind of uh, impact people's lives. I appreciate you seeing that, and yeah, I definitely take that to heart, and I I appreciate that about my comedy as well. And I'd also be curious, Jason, with your comedy, what are some of the you know when you're delivering a joke on stage or wherever it is, I'm curious what some of the deeper reoccurring intentions are that you have behind your comedy because I'm, I'm going to judge you to be a conscious dude just not out to get shallow hollow laughs so I'm curious what drives your comedy um I really uh, first of all thank you for asking <laughs> um yeah uh and I appreciate you being a guest on my podcast Jason. yeah no listen the fact that you invited me um it's really flattering. Uh, I've been wanting to yeah. be on your podcast for some time. I just didn't know how to open that door for myself. And I realized the best way to be on your podcast was to actually put you on my podcast. Which was mine and then all we would turn along. this into your podcast. Exactly. Yeah. All, all I mean, podcasts are found within. It's been inside of me all this time. So, yeah, Jason, after you um, uh, recovered from your bull riding incident when you were 13, now here we are. <laughs> And what drives your comedy? So I'm a, primarily a storyteller. Uh, I mean, I've, been, I've done a lot of creative writing, and I just, you know, around the dinner table, you know, with, with friends and stuff like that, I just have had over time a tendency to tell these stories. I've collected these stories, and I tell them, and they're all about me and my mishaps, you know? <laughs> And I teach yoga. I teach yoga because I invented a yoga product, and so I have to teach people how to use it because no one understands it, even though I thought it was going to be really easy and obvious. And so I teach these classes, and, and when I'm teaching, people are like, oh, my God, you're so funny. You should be a comedian. And I'm like, so you're saying I'm not, I shouldn't be a yoga teacher? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I'm also less like, you have no idea how hard it is to be a comedian. Like making people laugh five times during a yoga class, you're the funniest yoga teacher ever. You make sure. people laugh five times during a comedy show. You're the worst comedian I've seen in a while. And so I was just like, there was a lot of fear for me around, like, I don't know that I could actually do that. Yeah. I don't know if I could be that funny in that way. And so, so I just wanted to say, like, a piece of it was sort of challenging myself in that way with something that I thought I would probably fail at. And it was my 46th birthday present to myself was to go do five minutes of stand-up comedy. And I, oh, rather cool, than have cool. a birthday party, I invited everyone to watch me fail. And, uh, and I didn't totally suck. Like, I, I mean, it, you know, I've gotten better for sure. But one of the first jokes I told that night that got laughs, I've kind of reinvented it, but I still tell that joke. Like, it's still a solid bit. And, um, and so that's still a part of me. And, and, and the other story I told that night, I will never tell again on stage. Uh, <laughs> Or at least not, not until I'm no longer in the yoga business. Because uh, I realized, like, I don't think I can have that out there. But uh, I really, um, people, I, people reflect to me that they think the way I see life is interesting and funny. And for me, that's just the way I see life. Yeah. Like, the connection, the dots that I connect, they just seem normal to me, and apparently they, they're sometimes funny, sometimes not so funny to others. Um, and so I kind of got into the craftsmanship of like, well, how can I, can I, can I turn this into something? Can I actually go on stage and make this the thing that's expected of me and still be able to tell stories that are meaningful? Um, and, 
and it's evolved. Like when I first got into it, I was I was about a year and a half out of uh, the relationship with the woman who's the mother of my child, and my first round of jokes were at her expense, <laughs> and uh, and and well deserved. And uh, and then pretty quickly, I was like, this comedy is something that really matters to me. I don't want her to be a part of it anymore, and I stopped telling the jokes that were about her. Uh, and I started diving a little deeper into into me, and then. Um, and then I sort of began collecting experiences, and I, this is terrible, and I hate admitting it out loud, so I'll do it in front of everyone. You know, there's a little piece of me that, like, now seeks out experiences to the degree that I can exploit them comedically, and then they become a little, <laughs> a little less interesting. So, like, I have this dog that I adopted about six months ago, and now the, you know, the thing is just bored a hole into my heart and I can't let it go. It's yeah. really annoying. But for a while, she was just a source of, of real humor for me. And one of the, the best new bits that I've built is around this dog. And mm. I don't know that I can get anything more from her comedically. And a piece of me is like, what do I still want the dog? <laughs> I love that. I love your honesty about that. And I can just imagine you going around to animals and people in your life and you look at them and you know you know i think i've exhausted all comedic value from you so <laughs> you're dead to me now we're done we're done that's a great it's, it's not you and it's not me it's your lack of ability to add anything comedic of comedic value to my life that <laughs> and, and i like how it's definitely their lack of ability to have it's not your lack of ability to see comedic no, exactly. it's all about them no it's, it's their lack of content more interesting <laughs> which i think you know podcast about failing i think uh now's the time where we should drop probably the most important insight about success that we could ever have which is the key to being truly successful in life is to always blame other people <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to I think I didn't realize you were serious. Yeah, I think that was in the Bible. Uh, <laughs> my favorite thing so far, uh, that's not true. There's so many favorite. I keep having favorite moments in your book. One of them was uh, two sentences in. Like I laughed out loud on the airplane when I read the second sentence of your book. And then I tried to read it to the next person next to me. They're like, what's so funny? I tried to read and I just like couldn't recreate it for them. But in me, it was already hysterical, you know. Um, but when you do the thing about the Bible and math, you know, for those of you who believe in, you know, in creation, this won't apply to you because your system of math doesn't go above 6,000 or something like that. <laughs> you can't count past 6,000. Oh, my God. It was such a great way to dismiss all of Judeo-Christianity. It was just fucking priceless, man. A little bit of a trump card. We might as well play once in a while. Oh, God. It was such a funny way to say it. I mean, uh, I think, I think, yeah, your method of invalidating the norm mm. is, you know, maybe your greatest contribution, mm. like, because it permeates everything that you do. You know, you called it the, uh, invalidating the norm. I love that. Love your words on that. Well, I just thought of them. That's... <laughs> I'm really inspired by your work, man. I really am. I, I'm not, I don't want to be accused of pandering to you. Um, I just, 
I, I think what you do and how you do it uh, is it's very hard to be unique and you're totally unique. It's very hard mm. to be funny and you're hysterically funny. And it's very easy to think you're wise, mm. but you're actually also quite filled with wisdom. And I mean, I'm just really happy for everyone that you took the risk that you took mm. because I cannot imagine, I mean, there would be a, there would be a void that we didn't know was there if you weren't doing, doing the work that you're doing. And, and it's, um, I just can't wait to, to see how big it gets, you know, and to see what you continue to do with it. Um, and I don't know if it's possible for you to write a second book. Like, is it all here? Are you, are you going to write another book? Is that a, piece of the plan yeah well, it feels like it's all here in the 12 and a half is there gonna be a 13th step <laughs> well first off i i love all those words i guarantee i will be getting off this podcast with higher self-esteem than i did coming into it and you know uh, another book uh, yes but i think it would be very different uh the next book though like i'm not in a rush to write it but the next book probably won't be written quote unquote in character it'll be more fluid will there be comedy probably will there be straightforward insights probably so it'll probably be much more like what i am on stage where i'll oscillate in and out of comedy rather than just being you know a, a one character who you know has a certain way of seeing things, you know, is arrogant. And um, so I, I, I realized the, the character is a part of me. And over the, the couple of years that I've been doing the character, then I'm realizing, and I am much more than just the character. It, he is a part of me. I love that creation. I love that perspective. And there's more to me that I've been really called to, um, honor rather than just being dogmatically stuck to the character that was once upon a time a source of freedom to me and then that becomes you know a trap you know a jail where i can't spread myself bigger than i am so yeah we'll see how that unfolds but uh, my hunch is that's a little bit of a preview of how the next book would look cool well i know you gotta go um this has been a fantastic hour. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And um, really, man, I hope we can do it again at some point if you're open to that. Oh, yeah. I'd love to do it in person so we don't have any audio issues. Um, and I just, I hope that in the last thing that you said, my hope would be that what people could hear is how directly that transfers to the human experience. You know, how identified we are with this incarnation with this person with this personality and the ways in which when we hang on to that all that not the only thing that does but a part of what that does is actually prevents us from growing into the person that we really are like mm-hmm. or could be to the fullness of our potential and that last piece where you said like this this character that you developed that has helped you become the person that everybody knows if you succumb to that character then that becomes the thing that prevents you from becoming more of who you are like um, how'd i do 
Man, that was, I think, an amazing, amazing reflection. Yeah, well said, brother. And yeah, it's been wonderful being here with you, Jason, and I would absolutely be thrilled to have a round two with you for sure. What an amazing hour this was. One might even say it was the precise pinnacle performance process pertaining to my podcast primary purpose. I was a little nervous heading into this interview because JP is a pretty big deal. But in the end, he's just another guy. And this was just two guys talking. We both agreed we'd like to do a follow-up combo, so stay tuned for JP Part 2. Meanwhile, you can keep up with his insights and antics on YouTube, and you can read his book, How to Be Ultra Spiritual, 12 and a Half Steps to Spiritual Superiority. You can find links to his book on our website. His book tour is sensational. Usually accompanied by an hour-long performance, he will have you rolling on the floor laughing. I feel like JP and I could hang out. With any luck, next time I'll be able to interview him in person. If you like what you heard, please visit our website, use our Amazon portal, and rate us on iTunes. Make sure you tell your friends about Learning to Fail, and if you feel so inclined, please consider making a donation on our donation page. That way, we can keep failing ultra-fearlessly. <laughs>